In some instances, the harassment may be verbal. Word around the offices, you've got a fat cock. Yes, I do. I've got a fat cock too. Maybe we should rub our fat cocks together sometime. Maybe a little oil, two fat cocks, together, oil. I like to listen to music get on after I have a hit of my thought of my thought of my thought. I like to listen to music get on after I have a hit of my thought of my thought of my thought. I like to listen to music get on after I have a hit of my bong bong. If I need to write a song, but it didn't take me very long. Well, now's the end. Ah,、uh, yeah. Oh, Adam and Eve, Eve. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for anti-social commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Simon. Hiya, I'm Kate Rambo. Hi, Kate Rambo. You sound more chipper. Are you feeling better this week? I am feeling a lot better. The、uh, is it's all gone away. It's all in the past now, man. I'm living in the in the future. Are you enjoying? Are you enjoying the workman's comp <laughs> life? Yeah, I'm enjoying the workman's <laughs> comp life. It's just one less stress in it. And like I've a, I've got a lot of stresses being piled upon me. But we can't talk about that in case the union boss is listening. So at the minute, I'm in a lot of extraordinary pain that is causing me to not go to work. Well, it's I, I'm it's. It's good that you can be in this type of extraordinary pain, and they they give you a work、I'm、leave of absence. Yeah, so you, you're、yes. you're on the you're on the good drugs. I gotta say, I'm very jealous. And in fact, you should enjoy that because that's not going to happen when you move to the U.S. of A. I am a hundred percent convinced that workplace shootings happen because you guys just don't have workers' rights. You know, a little bit of socialism never hurt anyone," said Reverend Jim Jones, and I agree with him. Have some workers' rights. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Like, I wish people actually cared about the mental health of their workers. They they posture and they act like they do because they'll have like you know you're getting mental health cupcakes for Mental Health Awareness Day, but、Ooh. they don't really give a shit. They're not going to be like, oh, you've been working sixty hours a week. You got to settle down. We're going to take those projects away from you. That's not going to ever happen here. Well, that's never going to happen if you're a chef. That's why I got out of the kitchen world. Speaking of same, which, it was just、deal. the anniversary of、uh, Anthony Bourdain、uh, offering himself, and I think about Anthony Bourdain all the time. He was a legend. Yeah, he、uh, he was probably overworked. I always thought his job right before he died, and I was like, why'd you kill yourself? You got the best deal going on right now. Yeah, I think he killed himself. It was something to do with his depression. <laughs> no, but I understand you're you're mentally ill or whatever. But it's like you get the best deal. You get to go around the world, get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars per episode or whatever it is, whatever your contract is. But you get to go all around the world and just try food. It's like、It'd、the be best job ever. Yeah, but I mean, show me a chef that isn't clinically depressed because they are all walking a knife's edge. Gordon Ramsay. Is somehow somewhere clinically depressed. Guy Fieri. <laughs> he could never. He could never be depressed. Can he use the spice king? How can you be depressed? We should have gone、hair. to his restaurant when we were in Vegas. How can you、crack. be depressed with that hair? So、um, I just went to Disneyland the other day. Who are you? Speaking of <laughs>、yeah, depression, that's what depresses me. Yeah. Speaking of、okay. depression, I went to Disneyland for、uh, my friend Lenore's birthday, and I gotta say, I really fucking loathe that place. I hate it. 
that place is like, I don't know, one of the third you know, levels of hell for me. I am also not a fan. I am thankful, though, that she did not make us wear outfits. She, she was talking about this when, I, when she asked me if I could get Disney tickets. So I do have a hookup that I can get tickets occasionally. Um, she wanted to wear these Roger Rabbit-themed outfits. Like she and her husband wear Robert, oh, Roger Rabbit-themed outfits. Well, she, kinda do, oh, she it's does kind of look like Jessica. D, you're talking about a subculture of people, and it's called Disney bounding. It's Disney bounding. Because is, is, you can't you can't go as the actual character, you get kicked out. You have, but you can go as a likeness of that character. Yeah. So you couldn't go in a full stormtrooper's uniform, they'll kick you out. But you could go as like a sexy lady stormtrooper, not show too much flesh. One of my pals actually has um, a tattoo of like a naked woman on her arm, like full on titties out. She's a very like buxom, like hot sailor chick on her arm. And when, it, when she was at Disney, and this is at the Florida one, they came up to her and they were like, you're going to have to cover up your arm. What? She had to cover it because of all well, the children? Well, they gave her plasters to put over the buxom lady's titties in the end. And I was like, that's how fucking friendly, family friendly Disney is. They're well, looking for fucking titties on your arms. I mean, there are toddlers everywhere so in, in, in children, like elementary school age children. So I can kind oh, of Oh, it's just titties. That. But yeah, Get they don't want it. you to wear like an actual costume. Like if you wore like a goofy costume, then kids would, no. would be confused. And they'd be coming kids up would be to confused. you and take pictures. But yeah, so this subculture of Disney bounding has happened where you dress like the character, but you're not a full, it's not full like cosplay. And that's a very popular thing to do at Disneyland, as I realized the other day. And I think my friend Lenora... Because she kind of looks like Jessica Rabbit. She wears like a Jessica Rabbit type outfit. And her husband wears like a Roger Rabbit thing. And she had a whole plan for all of the rest of the, rest of the people in the group. To, and I was dreading it. And I think she realized I was dreading it. Maybe from my nonstop commentary. And so uh, we didn't end up having to do it. But her husband was kind of bummed. Her husband oh. loves dressing up. And he loves Disney. Loves Disney. Oh. Yeah, he was super stoked. He was like a kid, like a kid again. Yes. And the guy's probably about my age. There are, I think there are just two types of people in this world. You either love Disneyland or you just fucking don't. And I am definitely in the, I just don't get it. Like, I would rather spend my money on a million other things. Before he was wearing a yellow Disney princess collage t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> it was like a collage <laughs> of all the different Disney princesses. <laughs> and when we got there... Because we said it was Lenora's birthday, they gave her like this like tiara thing. I don't know if they gave it to her or if Ryan Keeley bought it for her, but this like happy birthday tiara. But she didn't want to wear it because it was going to fuck up her hair. So then her husband, Henry, was like, I'll wear it. So he was wearing the tiara the entire time with the Disney princess collage t-shirt. Well, you know what? It's good that his masculinity isn't fragile in any way and he doesn't He, doesn't he owns it. He owns it. Yeah, he's yeah, not. You he know, he's definitely it. very secure. Um, so the group, it was Lenora, her husband, Lenora's sister, who I never really hung out with much, but she's cool. Um, we're going to talk about her on the second show. Uh, there, she has an artist friend named Danny, uh, Ryan Keeley, and, uh, and me. So, you know, I, I would say out of this group, Ryan Keeley likes Disney. She doesn't dislike Disney. She, she, I think she's kind of like, you know, ambivalent to, to it. Like, it's not like it's her favorite place to be, but she does have fun there. 
You know, she'll like get into wearing outfits and things like that. Um, Lenora loves Disney. Her husband loves Disney. Uh, that guy, Danny, loves Disney. And uh, her sister is also kind of like lukewarm about it. She didn't really care. And her sister actually split right after dinner. So she wasn't even there the whole time. Like she was like, I've That's had good. enough. That's what I would have done. Oh, I, w- yeah. I had enough after Definitely. 30 minutes, after the first ride. But the thing is, and I think this is the reason why you and I don't have any kind of connection to Disney, is we don't have the nostalgic connection. Like, was it a thing no. for you when you were a kid? Of course it was. What you fucking talk about? I saw Lion King in the cinema. I laughed my, um, I remember me and my brother giggling, laughing in probably 10-year-old racism at the, ah, so when you're, you know, when the sun rises and it's all the African voices, hilarious. Not the films, even though I never was a huge fan of the film. I did like the Jungle Book. But the, the parks, did the parks have any kind of nostalgia for you? I have, this was the one, I only ever went on one family holiday uh, with my family obviously, because it's family holiday. <laughs> and we went to Disneyland uh, in Paris. Oh, Disneyland I, Paris. Yeah. Euro. Disney. All I know, I have zero, even though I was old enough to remember it, I just think like traumatic stuff must have just happened to me every day. It must have just been a horrible holiday. And I can't really remember anything. But there was one day when I'd been on a ride and my mum said, meet me here at the end of the ride. I'm just going to go over there. And I didn't go on the ride and I just walked away. And I think that says everything about my family life Explains at the a time. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I just walked around and they were looking for me all day. And I went and like I tried to buy a hot dog, but I didn't have enough French francs on me at the time. And then I just started getting really hungry. And that's what drove me back to my family. If I hadn't gotten hungry, if I was like you and just didn't ever feel human hunger, I probably would have just lived in Disney. Do you think you'd be a French person, like a French woman? Uh, ooh la la, yes. We... <laughs> what did, did drunk dad sneak in a flask? I have no idea. I, can, I just really can't remember it. And I, I was probably like seven or eight. I just have like no memories of it. You know, I bet you at that time that they probably still had that Michael Jackson ride. Right, yes. I do remember the Michael Jackson ride. And it wasn't really a ride. It was the thing where you put on the VR headset. And apparently up until a couple of years ago, that was still there. I thought there was like a gloved hand that diddles your privates. Uh, maybe other people's privates. But that didn't happen to me. <laughs> I wasn't uh, masculine enough for Michael Jackson. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't a thing for me. He likes young boys. When I was a kid. Like, I remember the only time I went to Disney as a kid, and I recall this, barely, but uh, is when they built Epcot Center. That's how old I am. (laughs) That was like 1982. Like the family had just been in South Africa for like two or three years. And uh, my dad's mother died. My grandma died. So we came back as a family. And I think my dad was just like, well, you know, because I think she lived in North Carolina or somewhere like that. He's like, you know, we're not that far from Disneyland. He wanted to see Epcot. So we took a family trip to go see Epcot. Even Jeffrey went as well. So... But I, I hardly remember that. But there's no nostalgia. I have no nostalgic connection to Disney, like like Lenora, because Lenora would go with her dad on her birthday, and and uh, her husband Henry said every time her family their family trips they'd go to Orlando to go to Disney or the or the one out here mostly Orlando. But they, they have this nostalgic connection. For me, I get nostalgic for Taco Bell. Like Taco Bell is nostalgic. Like I recall, like I. I Kind of gives me like, you know, a happy, like a warm, fuzzy feeling when I think about like the rabbi, you know, ordering Taco Bell in Michigan. It's like, I'll have a toast starter. 
and a Mexi melt, no pico sauce. Like I remember the order. Like no bloody pico, like, whatever that is. But I, I remember that, and that, that makes me nostalgic. Disney, nothing. I feel nothing. Well, I wish I had like any uh, like just warm and nostalgic feelings towards my childhood, but I absolutely do not. But I, that's the same feeling I get when I get a new porcelain zoo member. When I welcome a new Zoo member into my life, Give that's this, the same it's feeling. It's your sense of happiness. You know, yes. I think a lot of girls, like my ex, I remember her mother and her, like, because she grew up in San Diego, that was a thing that you do with your mom, is you go to Disney and you dress like a princess and you walk around. But but for well, me- cute. I don't get it. I fucking hate that place. And my sister hates Disney even more than me, especially the songs. She hates the songs. And her nanny that she that, that helps helps out with her- um, the one from uh, Brazil. The hot one. Yeah. yeah, the hot one from Brazil. Uh, loves Disney. And so she'll like play Disney songs. And Stephanie will just go and shut them off. Because she's like, I don't want Ozzy to like Disney. She doesn't mind Paw Patrol, but Disney's persona non grata. Out of bounds. Every day I just love your sister more and more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, but now it makes me want to, like I want to go buy the kid a Mickey Mouse doll. because Just because I know it pisses her off. Nah, fuck Disney. I'm but the other thing, and plus I, I like I love roller coasters, and I do love roller coasters. But to me, it's not a roller coaster park. You're there to just—it's a park for kids, and you queue. That's you stole it. the words right from my mouth. The rides suck. It's not like a real Thank amusement you. park. They're like these kind of fucking no. lame kids rides. However, we did get on Rise of the Resistance. That's the only ride I wanted to go on. It's the, and, and it's so hard to get on. Like you have to get there and you got to book your name and you got to do all this fucking bullshit. I tried, we tried to go on when we went last year and I uh, wasn't able to do it. And we even tried. I'm not to, queuing it, for 60 minutes. No, it's even longer. Like, it's 90 minutes. I just won't queue. There is nothing I'll queue that long for. Fucking like, I would like to think of what I would actually be like. You know what? 90 minutes is reasonable for this because it isn't. In those 90 minutes, I'll need to piss. I'll need to eat. I can't do it. For some reason, there was like, I don't know, but we were waiting for the, the other shitty Star Wars ride. That's one thing about Disney. The Star Wars land's actually kind of cool. They did a good job with that. But there's yeah, two I rides like there. There's this one called Smuggler's Cove where like you sick. fly the Millennium Falcon and when the other person's like a gunner and then there's someone that has to be an engineer and that ride sucks like all the other rides there. Yeah. But Rise of the Resistance is the really cool one with the actors, the stormtroopers and everything. Really hard to get on and for some reason we got through that. We didn't even use the special app thing, the Genie app. We just kind of showed up and it was like 30 minutes. We walked on. That is a really cool ride. I got to say that was a really cool ride. It's got all these actors all right, and, and, and uh, stormtroopers and like, you know, you could, you ride around in this like fucking vehicle thing. It, it was a good, it was a good one. And the other one that Lenora made us wait all night to get on, it was the Matterhorn, which I had never been on that one, but it's one of the vintage rides because Disney has a lot of rides that have been around one. since the forties. That ride was really cool. It's very black metal. Like, it sounded very black metal. Like, there were parts of it that sounded like an immortal song. It's kind of cool. Um, but, but the problem, here's the problem with that park. There's no fucking booze. No booze. Food's really shit and expensive. And you just, you're just out baking in the sun. At least in, I know the Paris one's meant to be really run down now, which in some ways I think would probably be better because you go into a really shit theme park that has shit food, but it's got beer. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing with uh, with Disney, Disneyland. You got Disneyland, then you got California Adventure. And California Adventure, you could drink beer at, but Disneyland, you can't. And there's a, now there's a bar in the Star Wars area, but you got to book a reservation. You can't just walk up to a kiosk and buy a beer. And I think that's why you see all these dads on the edge of like a full-on dad rage mental breakdown because they don't have any beer. <laughs> They've been dealing with their fucking screaming kids. They've been paying ridiculous amounts of money for a churro you know it's like it, the, the whole experience sucks especially towards the end of the day and the fact that we couldn't go to the other park because california adventure was was uh closed down because apparently they do a thing called senior day and so senior day they close uh they close the park at six and seniors from high schools in the area because they're graduating get to basically party there all night yeah don't don't tell any more about that because we're working on a movie idea and people will steal our idea so you, it, like that's all you can tell that's it was shut right that's in fact you've gone too far it was shut for a private party that night Shh. kate's Shh. idea about this this horror themed uh thing, theme park thing with this pedophile that's yes, running around a pedophile slasher come pedophile on slasher it's- yeah, it's going to be like, sell. can you remember Cherry Falls with uh, Brittany Murphy, which is a really movie. funny it's a good movie. Yeah, Cherry. it's going to be like Cherry Falls, but set in Disney with all the seniors from all of L.A. It's going to bring I'm bringing back the 2000 slashes. So I've already said too I, much. Wait, wait, wait. TM. I thought you said it'd be toddlers, not seniors. <laughs> Did you say toddlers? <laughs> it, right, it was be... just a meme. She said toddlers and there'd be a lot of nudity. And I was like, Kate, we can't, you can't go there. I've told you, I've told you time and time and again, you can't go there. Toddlers and tiaras, baby. Anyway, no, it was just to me. I go into all the details on the second show. It was a terrible experience. I think uh, the only way it was, reason it was tolerable is because I had a lot of drugs. And Ryan Keeley and I split and went to a bar outside the park for like three hours while everyone else rode all the fucking stupid rides. But it was fun hanging out with uh, Lenora. I, always, I don't get to spend that much time with her. Um, she told me uh, this upcoming Tuesday, she's going to find out if she's going to trial again with her stalker, um, Justin uh, Masler, Cloud Star Chaser is his, uh, his, his pseudonym. Uh, but I guess uh, she might go to trial again on new charges for him. So, you know, she's been, this has been ongoing for, God, I don't know, 15 years, 16 years. She's kind of looking in a way, though, because a lot of courts would have just thrown thrown out her case a long time ago and just been like, it's not even important. So it's good that she's kept it like the ball rolling, so to speak. Well, she's put him in jail five times and he served multiple years, but then he always gets out. He goes to like a mental hospital and then he just doesn't take his meds. And the family, like the family, like bails him out. He goes, lives with the family, stops taking his meds and gets right back into the old shenanigans. So. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, this guy is stalked of Ivana, uh, uh, yeah, Ivana Trump, Ivanka Trump. She's he's uh, stalked Kim Kardashian. I mean, he's he's got a long list of uh, people, but it's it's definitely impacted Lenora's life. Um, so anyway, we we're chatting about it over uh, um, while we were walking around. It sparked a discussion on Japan's night movers, which is the subject of this week's show. There's a job in Japan. There are people who are paid to help other people disappear. And for a number of reasons. Um, you know, some of these people have stalkers, like Lenora, abusive husbands, uh, you know, mired in gambling debts. Um, but so what they do is they seek out the service of the Yonageya. The Yonageya. 
which are the night movers, and they help people become johatsu sha, evaporate. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting line of work, and it makes sense that you could do something like that in Japan. Not quite sure how it would work in other parts of the world. But before we get into that, let's chat about people disappearing from the sick and wrong patrons. <laughs> Is that a good segue? Oh, my God. <laughs> We've noticed there's been several people just evaporating from the Patreon, and we're growing concerned. He has your name, he has your number, and he's going to show up on your doorstep. I'm hiring a private detective to find you. Um, But yeah, you know, if you support Indie Podcraft, if you support what me and Kate do every week, then you should sign up for the Sacred Round Patreon and, uh, and, and support this show. Keep it going. It's only a few bucks a month. We're not asking for a lot of money. It's $5 a month. You get access to a full second show every week, Sick and Wrong second show. Uh, this week, we're going to get into all the saucy details from, this, uh, from the trip to Disney. Um, there are some funny it's stories. very gossipy. They're very gossipy. We're going to get into that. Uh, we're also, uh, I'm going to talk about my brother and I going to see the new Spider-Man movie at the Chinese theater in Hollywood. We got really lost and uh, Jeffrey fell asleep and took his shoes off in the theater. We'll get into that. And then uh, I also play an outtake, which I don't think I ever played. Another Harrison outtake from episode 727, where he and I were chatting about the death of that LA model, Amy Nicole, and the impact it had on the local goss scene. I'm not quite sure if I played that one or not. I think I didn't because he asked me not to. So we're gonna play yeah, that think- on this week's second show. Yeah, fun. Uh, that's only five bucks a month. You get access to the second show. And for a few dollars more, you get access to uh, Sick Wrong Overkill, our bonus mini-sode. And this week, uh, Kate Rambo did a whole special, a whole special on Serial Killer Star Signs, Gemini Edition. Yeah, stop calling me special. And this is at the five dollar, the five quid, just five pounds uh, thing. All the star sign shit is at the five pound thing. But there oh, okay. are so many. All the serial killers are Gemini. Think of a serial killer that isn't BTK. They're all, they're all uh, Gemini's. So it was a fun one. I didn't realize BTK is. Well, I don't even know what BTK is, but BTK um, is a Pisces, which makes sense because he's a mutable sign. Basically, if you're a mutable sign, you are going to snap at some point and probably kill your whole family. This is it makes what sense I've to learned. me. Makes um, sense to me as well. I'm a mutable sign. You can also access the uh, the uh, second show via Apple Podcasts now. I'm uploading it to Apple Podcasts. There's a couple different ways to support the show. And um, you also get access to Sick and Wrong Archives. There's a lot going on in the Patreon. We really do have a lot. I'm in the process of uploading the archives to Apple Podcasts, but it's a pain in the ass. It's taken me a few weeks. So that's coming in the future. But anyway, if you want to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today. And uh, yeah, keep it keep it wrong. Let me play this quick Patreon promo, and then uh, let's chat about the Yonageya and the Johatsu Shah of Japan. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. So before you've actually penetrated her with your Ew. Johnson, you're going to Ew. just rub the tip, the head, the glands of your shaft around her outer labia and over her clitoris. And you're just going to tease her by saying things like, oh, I don't even know if I should even put it in today. I don't even know if you just, I don't even know if you deserve. <laughs> put it in today, 
like, like what? I'm a fucking microwave. Just up like that and then... Wait, 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 wait. So you're supposed to rub your dick up and down her pussy and on her club being like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to put this in. I don't know. Today. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if yeah. you play your cards right, Missy, you might get this <laughs> cock inside of you, okay? But for now, I'm just going to rub it on the outside. All right? Oh, my God. This guy. <laughs> How annoyed would wow. you be? I'd just be like, put it in today. I'd be like, oh, well, give me, shoot me an email when you're ready to put it in. <laughs> for only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. But don't you ever think of... Running away from your problems... That's not unusual. But paying a professional service <laughs> to handle your problems is a bit unusual. It's a little weird. I can't really imagine this happening in the U.S. or the U.K. as much. Like, I couldn't imagine a service like the Yoni Gea working out here. But maybe it, maybe it could. Maybe it could help solve a lot of issues like someone like Lenore is facing with her stalker. I've always wanted to just disappear, though, haven't you? Like, I think I would have done it if I'd have never had a cat. Like, you know, at the end of Ghost World, where Enid Colesaw just puts all her favorite possessions in a hat box, and she just walks off into the sunset, and you just don't know where she goes. I've always wanted to do that. Just well, I don't like, think I've had a good reason off. just to disappear. Like, I don't... You have family, though, whereas I don't have family, so I'm the perfect type of person who could have just fucked off. Well, you're gone you're self estranged from your family, so no, we're all estranged from each other, mate. <laughs> like, I guess, but it's not like they're texting me every day, going, "We love you." Yeah, but did Come you say your mom's a little gate. upset because you're moving? So she cares about you, obviously, but she cares. But maybe rest, she would notice if you disappeared. She probably would be upset. She's your mom, but uh, yeah, like my sister would be. Would be very upset. So my brother would be upset if I just disappeared. But I've never had like a, you know, an overriding reason to disappear. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I've never been a battered housewife. I've never had like a stalker that's trying to kill me. Um, I don't have any issues with mobsters, so I haven't had, ever had over. an overriding reason. That I think could be appealing, but I think it. I don't know. I think it depends on your situation. So in Japan. The term yonigeya translates to fly-by-night shops. And what they do is they help the desperate and uh, uh, besieged uh, disappear. You know, slide past loan sharks, escape stalkers, um, move past abusive husbands. And uh, what they do is they're almost like escape artists in a sense. Like they're part detective, part mover, part psychiatrist. Uh, they earn between two thousand to twenty thousand dollars per job, um, really? and uh, yeah, they help people start over. The yonige, as they're called, uh, used to be associated mostly with debt, um, and about uh, like basically from uh, Japan was hit really hard by uh, the two thousand eight Lehman Brothers shock when Lehman Brothers went under and the the whole recession, uh, but also even in the nineties, Japan had a lot of issues. Nineties. Early 2000s, a lot of issues with debt and bankruptcy. Are you not? Are you not also talking about all the fucking pachinko debts as well? 
Because well, Japan that, has one of the biggest gambling problems of any fucking country. Gambling debt that too. That stupid game. Gambling debt too definitely plays into this. But I think a lot of people declare businesses declare bankruptcy in the '90s. They call it the uh, the loss period. And then the Lehman Brothers, when Lehman Brothers folded, uh, Japan was right. hit super hard. I mean, the states were also everyone was hit hard. There was a huge recession in 2008, 2009. But Japan was uh, definitely suffered from that. And so a lot of people ended up. Uh, Businesses declared bankruptcy. A lot of suicides. Suicide spiked. Um, so the Yonige kind of became popular to kind of help people escape their debts. But nowadays, 80% of the customers are, are uh, running from uh, emotional abuse or family problems or stalkers even. So here's a Yonige named Naoki Iwabuchi. I wonder if I'm pronouncing those properly. Naoki. <laughs> Um, full Japanese then. <laughs> so Naoki helps battered women disappear without a trace. Almost all of his uh, his clients are uh, battered housewives, and so this guy carries a discreet self defense briefcase that opens up into an armored plate. It's like a shield within his briefcase. Wow. Uh, he said night moving is very sloppy, and there's always trouble. You just need to expect it. He works in Chibo, which is a town about 32 miles from Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, always wears a black suit. He looks very professional and uh, deals with his business in a very matter-of-fact tone. Um, so in 2021, about 90,000 people were reported missing in Japan. These missing people, or what they call them the Johatsu Sha, evaporated people, choose to disappear, often because of debt. Definitely pachinko debt plays into that. Domestic violence or just to even start over. They say that uh, the reason a lot of these people want to evaporate is because of Japan's harsh work culture in combination with a lack of familial and community support. And that's what kind of contributed to people uh, seeking out the Yonike and, and evaporating. Also, quitting a company, like quitting your job, is shameful. So a lot of people yeah. just work themselves to death. It's called karoshi. Because they we can't, they can't do it. We talked about that ages ago. We did like an overkill about it. But I'm like super into like a lot of the, I have like a whole subsection of Japanese videos that I watch on YouTube. And I've been like hardcore into it. I would say for like 18 months, I watch a lot of Japanese stuff. And like, it's a weird culture out there because you can't even like properly make friends once you get past a certain age. And if you're an outsider who moves to Japan, you're like, you know, like um, uh, your friend who rings in, oh, Adam, like it's fucking difficult. Because you well, were always an outsider. No one will ever open up to you. You can never be emotional. It's all kept like very small talky. Thankfully, Adam married a Japanese woman, so that's why he's allowed to stay there. But yeah, I don't think you're yeah. ever fully accepted of their culture. But no. their culture also doesn't seem, you know, <laughs> also seems very uh, anxiety ridden. Um, so what happens when you have these issues, like when you're, you're working to death, but you're, you, you can't quit because it's going to shame your family. And then you have all these other pressures. You can't divorce your husband because they'll bring dishonor on your family. Yet he's abusive. Um, you know, you, you don't really have many options except for suicide or disappearing. And so I think most mm. people <laughs> tend to choose to disappear rather than kill themselves. The other thing too um, by being a johatsu and just disappearing, 
it spares the family the high costs that are associated with suicide. So apparently, you get char- the family gets charged cleanup fees and a disruption of service fee when people jump in front of a train from a platform. Oh, in front of the Shinkatsu. Yeah. yeah, isn't that crazy? Like, if you jump in front of, front of the Japan's bullet trains, your family has to pay the cleanup fee and your family has to pay, pay the, the fees from disrupting the service of the, of the uh, bullet train. I kind of get that, though. I mean, if we started doing that, then it's going to make people be like, well, I can't use the trains to suicide anymore, which is good because you're wow. also traumatizing a driver and the people on the platform. I get it. And making us all late. Yeah, same t- it's very Japanese of them. I just it's think it's just funny like that, that you have to pay for it. Be like, I didn't even like the guy. My brother sucked. Am I going to pay for this? So the term I'll Johatsu. I'll scrape him off myself. Um, started being used in the 1960s. At, th- at that time, it was used in the context of people who decide to escape unhappy marriages rather than go through the whole formal divorce proceedings and uh, you know, bring shame upon their family. Uh, they called the 1990s from 1991 to 2001 the lost decade because of all the uh, the bankruptcy and uh, the economic recession that occurred then. That led to a spike in suicide and juhatsu because a lot of salary men lost their jobs or accumulated debt. So they're just like, I'm going to kill myself um, or disappear and start over. But the topic of juhatsu is very taboo in Japan, even now. It's very taboo, kind of like suicide. They don't like to talk about it. But it's been estimated that about 100,000 people disappear annually. Uh, but the juhatsu are probably underreported in official numbers because you can't really track that. Like, they don't know how many people just sort of start over and disappear. Um, the Missing Persons Search Support Association of Japan said that they, they think hundreds of thousands of people are juhatsu every year. Which is crazy because Japan's not even a huge island. You know, it's not a big country. Japan is pretty big. Like when you think about it. And like also it's not just one island. There's yeah, like it's multiple islands. islands. Yeah. But and you'd still think it would be a harder Tokyo. place to disappear than like the United States. Yeah, I suppose. But you can also, you can disappear from anywhere. Really. If you, if you put your heart into it, you could just disappear just the fuck up here but the difficulty is is like yeah i feel like you would need a company because if you're going to disappear then you need a new like over here it's a national identity number in america it's your social, social security, security yeah. you need a new passport you need you're it's basically witness witness protection you're going into it's a relocation i feel a company like that would do good business well the you know yoniges know how to arrange all of that so Naoki exactly. Iwabuchi's business is one of many that helps people, mostly abuse women, uh, just disappear from society and travel to a safe place. But it's a risky job. I mean, the guy carries the armored briefcase. Uh, he also carries a retractable baton-like device that sometimes he has to use for protection. Um, he said, uh, not a day goes by without trouble, and he's always assuming the worst will happen. He started doing his business about 16 years ago when uh, there was an increase in women facing domestic abuse at home and they, they couldn't escape, they couldn't get away. So 90% of his clients are women, and about 10% are men. Um, and now the number of people seeking to disappear is up to three times more than what it was pre-pandemic. 
So oh, that, wow. that's interesting. Right, yeah. You'd think you wanted to disappear during the pandemic because then you don't have to fucking be locked up with your family. But apparently... But it's harder to disappear, isn't it? Because you're, you're trapped with... Because you weren't allowed to leave, yeah. Um, so Yoni, Yonigea's services are negotiated, but usually it's somewhere around 2000 to $20,000 based on the risk of the job and the complexity of the extraction. But once the people have been evaporated, it's kind of easy for them to ma- maintain anonymity and hide in plain sight in Japan. You know, privacy is very val- is is highly valued there, unlike here. Um, so missing people <laughs> can withdraw money from ATMs without detection. Like the government wouldn't even aren't even allowed to track you down through your ATM through bank records. There's also a lot of. Um they're not really ghost towns they're dying towns there's a lot of dying towns in japan so i imagine they're just like well off you go to okinawa you're going to be eating a lot of soba noodles there you go and that's where you go like tokyo is so massive you think you could just easily disappear in like the bowels of tokyo there's so many different areas of tokyo too but i think they send you off to the countryside I think they do. I think they completely relocate you. So another Yonige, she's female. Her name's, uh, she wants to give her first name, but it's Miss Saita. And so Miss Saita was an actual victim of an abusive relationship, and she hired a Yonige to help her. And because of the sense of relief um, that she felt after escaping, motivated her to get into the game. And so she founded a company called TS Corporation, which is the largest Yonigaya company in Japan. Um... She claims there's a lot of companies like her working to fill the gap left by police, women's shelters, and social services. Uh, so oftentimes, like the police just say there's nothing they can do about an abusive husband. He said, that's just what marriage means. And you just have to deal with it. Even if you're it's getting better. kind of the battered. same here. Like, yeah. It can only go so far if y'all, like, because it's, it's it gets into a very, like, gray territory, doesn't it? Well, Japan, you know, Japanese police, and I think it's the culture of Japan, they don't like to interfere with cases of domestic violence because it's a family issue. And it's not yeah. something you would invo- involve an outsider. In fact, Japan enacted its first domestic violence law in 2001. They never even <laughs> bothered with it before that. It's like, <laughs> which is kind of hard to believe. It's like the 1970s <laughs> in Japan all the time. It's okay to hit your wife. You could give you her know. a backhand, calm her down. Nothing wrong with that. Your sandwich is late. Just hit her. As recently as 2015, um, statistics say that one in four Japanese women are suffering abuse from their spouses, which is kind of, that's a huge figure. That's one in high. Four. Is this why yeah. maybe the younger generation of Japanese women are not marrying Japanese men, though? And is this why they like Western men more? I'm not saying that Western men don't beat their wives, but... Maybe they treat them better. Is that but why? Maybe? Exactly. They I mean, want to get the like fuck out. The way they give the, their finger to the patriarchal culture of Japan, it could be. I mean, I love, they say marriage rates are much lower now than they have ever been in years. So maybe they just don't want to relive what their mother had to do with their fathers. You know, um, Saita says almost all of her clients have gone to the police and filed a report, but the police said they can't really give you any help. So who do they have to turn to? Well, they turned to a company like TS Corporation. Um, she's on the lower side. Like she, her, her, she said like the top fees that they usually pay are around $5,000. 300,000 yen to about 500,000 yen. 
Uh, but it depends on the complexity of the extraction, the amount of possessions that someone wants to flee with, how far they're oh going, um, whether the move needs to happen in the middle of the night or during the day. Are they taking children with them? Are they evading debt collectors? These, these factors can push the prices a bit higher. Uh, many people require just simple counseling or legal advice. Um, but some people require much more than that, need to completely disappear. She says about 150 people are helped to vanish every year. So it's a lot. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. So fleeing by night is definitely considered difficult, but TSC claims a, get- a getaway success rate of 100%. And you can go to their websites, they're all in Japanese, but you can see like they- where they offer their different services. She said there are cases yeah. where they've pulled off an evacuation in as little as 15 minutes. Oh, nice, that's like what the SA coming in and out, that's you. <laughs> Here are some uh, some three basic rules, she says, that, uh, that enable a successful quick escape. So first, the person must be firmly committed in their desire to flee. There's no going back. You have to be all in for this. Second, the intention to escape needs to be conveyed to the local police beforehand. Like, they need to be aware oh. of this. Um, really? Third, okay. a letter needs to be left behind stating the reasons for making the move. The latter two, the, the informing the police in the letter, are considered obligatory to prevent the filing of a missing p- person's report. Because they don't want you to be, you know, a person who's, you know, missing and then they're going to have to spend police resources to find you. Instead, you're going to be a johatsu. So you're evaporated. You disappeared. This is an amazing premise for a serial killer. Is it not? You, know, you just who- choose these women... And you write a note and you contact the police and say, this woman's going to disappear. And then guess what? The woman disappears. Or what if you're a Yoni Gaya and you just went and, you know, you, you offer your services to help someone disappear and you just kill them. Exactly. Isn't this, I am TMing that this is my second movie idea of this show. If anyone steals this movie idea, I will come down and I will disappear you. Thank you. So here's an actual Sayonara note. And so the names and the data is redacted. But it says, I'm leaving you. I'm terrified of your daily outbursts, and I can't stand it any longer. I will bring XXX, which is the name of the child, by myself, so don't worry. Please address all future communications through my attorney. I suppose he will receive my message by tomorrow. I have also discussed matters with the police, so please don't look for me or attempt to contact me directly. This is my request. So it's basically a Dear John note. Yeah, it's kind of a harsh one. Here's a couple success stories here. So one of her customers here was a, was a client, a woman in her 40s. Her son, since he was a child, was regularly abused by her husband. And while she was never struck, the sight of the boy being abused was very difficult. And so her son in high school started learning martial arts as if he were preparing for revenge someday. And so she was worried that he was going to strike back against the father. So one day while her husband was at work, movers filled the truck with their possessions and they just left, started a new life. So it's kind of crazy. The father comes home from work. It's like, where's everybody? Where's my furniture? <laughs> like everyone just split. And there's nothing you could do about it. You just get the sayonara note. Is that why you started learning lots of like martial arts and you started training with Japanese weapons? as like as a form of revenge are you repressing something i was i was planning to strike back against the rabbi uh, i feel like abusive. you were and that's why your mum was like 
Take the magic stars, the ninja stars. Take them, David. Learn how to use them. Another customer said she wanted to liberate her 75-year-old mother from her abusive uh, father. And so one day she said she saw her mother look in the mirror saying, who's this person? She couldn't wear makeup because if she did, the father would suspect her of infidelity and beat her. So she didn't even recognize her face in the mirror. At home, she was only called, hey, you, by her husband. And he threw things at her to get her attention. He couldn't even remember her name. (laughs) This reminds me of my marriage. (laughs) Hey, you, pipe down over there. Even on the day of the move, the mother kept saying things like, I have to make his dinner now. I have to make his dinner. So she hired this this company, uh, TCS Corporation or TSC Corporation, and they uh, took the mother and daughter to an entirely new home and they started over. And now, um, you know, they're able to live an entire new life. So it's interesting to think, how would you disappear? Like, what would you what would what would the first step you take to disappear? Uh, well, mine would be, let's just, we're going to take Chi-Chi out of the equation and we're just going to yeah, well, pretend It's difficult when you have a child or a pet. Yeah. Um, because like, we'd just take that out. I would, I would 100% Enid coleslaw it. And I would just put all my favorite possessions. It would be so difficult, but it's the, the first step is the hardest. And I would just put all of that in a very nice hat box and I would just walk off into the sunset. But would you take a bus? Would you get rid of your ID? Would you get a new passport? She takes a bus. This is, yeah, this is the problem. You would need a company to do all that because unless you have money, cash folding money, you're going to end up getting into the system. But I do know, um, oh, what's he What's he called? The Howard Marks. I know it was different times back then with Howard Marks. But when he got out of jail and was starting to sell all the fucking pot, he just went to another town. He went to a library. He managed to get a library card, which then meant that he could have like no. an address on it. And then you can start, you know, building up a thing in a separate name like that and getting doing all of that. But in this modern day and age, it's so difficult. You would, I feel like this company would I be think amazing. That's why you hire a professional. So this is the way it yes. works. Uh, it generally starts with a phone call from the prospective client to the Yonage agency. They discuss the case details. Uh, next, they meet face-to-face, usually at the client's house. Um, the Yone Gay checks out the neighborhood, severity of the threat. Like, if, if the woman's life is in imminent danger, then they got to move fast. Uh, they look at the house, the layout of the apartment, how many possessions will need to disappear without a trace. Um, in extreme cases where clients are under 24-hour surveillance, the Yone Gay will pose as window washers or tatami mat tradesmen. So they can carry oh, out their tasks without arousing suspicion. So here's a movie idea I had. Do you ever see that John Candy movie, Who's Harry Crumb? Actually, I've never seen that, and I love John Candy. How have he, I not seen this movie? He was the master of disguises in that. <laughs> it's pretty what? amazing. You know, I loved it when I was a kid. I don't know how it stands up today. I haven't seen it in decades. Oh. Come on, it's John Candy. All I love John Candy. Don't get me wrong. But I'm, I'm envisioning a fantastic reboot with this Yoni Gaya scenario, but with like Zach Galifianakis or something, or Patton Oswalt. Or, you know, oh, yeah. I probably want really a fatter Asian. comedian, but those are the two that came to mind. The fat comedians oh, don't tend to live to... very long. 
Do you know what? There aren't really any fat comedians anymore. There's a couple. There? Who's that one Mexican uh, guy? John um, Candy was huge, D. He was no, like Gab- 22 uh, Gabriel stone. Iglesias. That guy's kind of a fat. He's like almost John Candy sized. He's a big one. But most well, of John them, they don't last very man. long. And Zach well, Galifianakis yeah, isn't huge. even that fat, nor is Patton Oswalt. But I think either one of them could pull this off. They're not as lovable as John Candy. I'm putting that out there. I think John Candy was very lovable because he's Canadian, and I would have had sex with John Candy. I'm also putting that out there. I thought Zach Galifianakis is Canadian, isn't he? Is he? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't find him as, as sexually attractive as John Candy. I'm going to skip over the fact that you'd like to have sex with John Candy and completely <laughs> erase that from my mind because it's gross. <laughs> I don't even want to picture what position you would even use. I would have to be on top. Come on. <laughs> I would so hope fat. so because I think he would crush you. Um, although, yeah, that sex tape would make some money if it was on the Patreon. <laughs> oh, see, here comes the shekels now. <laughs> so the Yonagea size up the client when they meet face to face they kind of you know really figure out the gravity of the situation you know if they hear i may be dead tomorrow if you don't help me or you're my last hope then they realize that there's a major problem here however a lot of the um their customers are adept at lying a lot of them want to leave because they have committed a crime you know, a lot of them leave because they're involved with Yakuza or owe a, a portion of money to the Yakuza. And if, if the Yonigea even realize, even get, catch a hint of that, they're out of there. They won't even help the people. Because they're not helping this person escape a horrible situation. They're helping this person basically get by. You know, get one by the mobsters. You know, they're not going yeah, to... Yeah, because you don't want the yakuza coming after you i've just seen a yakuza with robert mitchum and like obviously robert mitchum can take down the yakuza no one else can well that's the thing if you have a debt to a loan shark or to the to the yakuza it's like why would you get involved with that i mean you're the one who got into debt with them whether it be drugs whether it be whatever kind of shady dealings you have and now you're saying you're a, you're you're using this this premise that you're an abused housewife to escape this or an abused husband it's like i think the yonigea because of their experience can see right through you know a ruse like that or lies um, so they check that the client's story hangs together they reject any jobs that seem fishy, any, any jobs that, that involve felons, gamblers, or the Boreyu Kudan, which are Japanese mobsters. They steer clear of those. Um, there's no stats really on the number of Yonigea operating in Japan, but estimates run there's like at least several dozen. Uh, they claim to operate within the law, but sometimes their activities fall in kind of a questionable area. Um, so because a lot of these clients either abuse women without much money or people who are drowning in debt through their company or whatever situation that they have, they declare bankruptcy. The Yonigea make them pay their money in advance. So some debtors, they even have to borrow more money to pay the Yonigea in order to escape the debt. That's just good business sense though, isn't it? And especially because everything that they're going to need to create for you is all upfront costs, like making a new passport for you or making a new identity card. Like you have to pay for that. It's, it's kind of like cheap. me going yeah. through the embassy now. You've got to pay for it all upfront. And you got to arrange so. everything. Yeah, it's, it's not inexpensive. Yeah. So planning an operation takes about a week to 10 days. Uh, clients are told to avoid getting any, giving anything away. You don't want to make it seem like you're about to disappear. 
So um, they asked people, keep your mouth shut. This is from a, a guy named Shohatori, who used to be a Yonageya, and he wrote a book called The Yonageya. If you want to run away, leave it to me. Um, he I says, like for added security, <laughs> um, oftentimes they don't even tell the clients of the plan until a day before, just in case, because they don't want them to blow it. Um, so they use that week to learn as much about the debt collectors, the stalkers, or the abusive husbands as possible, just so they can arrange the best situation to escape. Um, this guy, Hiroyuki Ono, who uh, runs a firm called Agent Express, he says he only does late-night escapes because debt collectors are not allowed to uh, contact customers after 8 p.m. He's like, because debt collectors will sit outside their home all day waiting for you to leave. So he said they oh, have shit. to leave by 8, by law. He's like, so I just come in. He's like, I'll come in the middle of the night. Now, this well, other guy... Collectors not do that there because they do that here. Debt, debt collectors will come to your house here and they will walk in and they will take your telly. They will just fucking take well, it. Well, you have repo men here that will do stuff like that, but you got to hire them. But they can't just come into your house. You have to let them in. Oh, they can here. Yeah, no, that's an invasion they, they, of privacy. But they can yeah. harass oh, you shit. at all hours of the night. They can knock on your door at midnight. You know, they get right, right. repo no. men too will come and just steal your car. But they I don't think they yeah, can come I guess and repossess they do that your TV. Too. Yeah, I don't think they can do that. Um another Yanagea named uh Hattori, he uh says he enjoys late mornings because neighbors are out shopping, tradesmen are making deliveries, garbage is being collected, there's a lot of distractions. So it's easy to wear a disguise and look like just another working man, you know. Um they spend some time finding a place for the, uh, the johatsu to hide. Occasionally, clients will make a specific request, um, like opting for a big city like Tokyo or Osaka, where it's easier to disappear. And most Yonigeya already have a network of leases. They have cell phones and vehicles registered under different names they could just give you. And so it may, this makes sense to me because I've often said, like, if you're on the run... Why not just disappear in like a large city like New York or Chicago? It does make sense. But at the same time, I just kind of think you should go to like a little a little place as well. Where... I feel like you stand out in a, a small town because you're, you know, there's not as many people. All of a sudden now you're a stranger. You probably have a regional accent, especially in, uh, you know, the UK. People will know that well, you're people an say that again. Uh, people say that about me in Carlisle. Like, they're like, you're not from Carlisle. It's like, I was born. Well, I wasn't born. I'm from 20 minutes down the road. And people in Carlisle know I'm not from Carlisle. So yeah, you be... can go to a big city, but there's not many big cities, like, really, in Japan. I would just be like, I'm going to go and live in the country. I'm going to become a, a crazy mountain woman. And I'm just going to turn my life around. <laughs> I'm going to turn it around. I'm assuming they're less likely to search for you, like, if you're way up in the mountains of Japan or something. But in Tokyo, you think you could just disappear as long as you, like, you know, lay low. But I guess how long can you do that? That's the question. Um, yeah. So typically, the clients are alone, or maybe they'll have one child, but they take nothing more than a small bag. They leave behind their credit cards, their driver's license, any identification. They leave behind their cars. Um, uh, some, yeah, if they take a car, oftentimes one accident report could give your location away. Um, they take very few personal possessions. Some Yonigea draw the line at bringing pets. 
Well, there are some that accept them, only if they're small. But most of them say you can't bring a pet's liability. What about a porcelain zoo? I think you're allowed minimal personal possessions if it provides mental security to you. But they don't want you to bring like a suit, two suitcases full because you got to move fast. You know, you have to be you have to be sparing. So in the several days before the move, Can't do it. Um, small items are discreetly uh, removed in backpacks or small bags so to avoid suspicion. So your your abusive husband's just sitting there watching TV, you know, drinking his Sapporo. And he's not realizing that there's certain <laughs> items just that aren't there anymore. They're just disappearing off the mantle. Sometimes Yonagea will disguise themselves as a secondhand shop worker. And they'll come and they will quote unquote buy used furniture that your wife is selling. Oh, that's clever. That's fucking clever. That is clever. I like that. Masters of disguise, just like Harry Crumb. Um, sometimes they'll pretend they're from a department store to pick up boxes that were marked returned items. It's another way also to sneak like by this. a drunk husband. This is husband. all very good. On the appointed day, the day you're about to escape, family members are told, just do your normal routine. Then at a prearranged time, so this, this is Yonagea, comes from Yonagea, who's helping an entire family disappear. So I'm assuming, you know, the husband was a business owner, he went into bankruptcy and wants the whole family to disappear. So he prearranged a time where the father heads out on a concocted sales call, the mother goes shopping, and the children leave school for a doctor appointment. Operatives pick them up at different locations and then they all disappear. And back at their house, a crew of workers in disguise swoop in. They pack and haul boxes into uh, waiting vans. They ha- might even have the decals of the department stores. An agent keeps watch, memorizes the faces, license plates, and any vehicles that they claim might be a potential pursuer. So if they see a lender, they see a, a mobster guy, they see a stalker, they mark down any kind of these identifying details. Um, they can call the operation off at any time, but usually if it's prepared in advance, everything's fine and there's no issues. Um, often they even have an extra car that will block any vehicles trying to follow them. So it's like it goes down, like they know exactly what they're doing. So this is interesting. A couple more cases here. Yosuke Matsura, who's the president of a Yonagea firm called Support Japan. Uh, he helped a domestic violence victim flee uh, from her violent husband. So the man, though, in this situation, he was unemployed, rarely left the house. So he was there all the time. So it's a little difficult to extract her when he's going to notice. But he was a heavy drinker. So the night she was going to escape, she plied him with alcohol. Just gave him like endless amounts of sake, bottomless sake, until he passed out. She made a quick call to Yonagea, who swooped in. They cleaned out all the furniture and possessions in the house within 30 minutes while this guy was passed out. Um, ordinarily it takes 15 minutes, but they were trying to be quiet because they wanted to make sure he didn't wake up and then they're gone. So this dude, when he woke up from his drunken stupor, just was sitting on his, 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 you know, lazy boy recliner. And that's the only piece of furniture left in the house. I imagine he's one of those fat Japanese as well. You know, they could, they're either one or the other, aren't they? They're like the super skinny kind of athletic, like nearly next level human being looking Japanese. Or they're just like more westernized and they're short and they're fat. And they it's look probably like what he looks me. like, a, like, a, like an American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> big he's belly. one of them. Yeah, just with his belly and he's wearing a white hey, you. vest. Oi. Hey, you. <laughs> Get me another Sapporo. 
another case here that uh, that Support Japan was involved in, and this kind of shows how dangerous it could be. There was an owner of a failed factory who was fleeing one million dollars in loan shark debt. So now the man's house was watched dollars. by Boryo Kudan, which is the mobsters, 24 hours a day they were watching this guy because they knew he was going to try to escape. But Masura, the Yonigea, and his operators, they dressed like a rival mobster gang. And they claimed that their debts were even larger than the debts he owed them. And they, quote-unquote, kidnapped the client and his family after basically out-toughing the Yakuza. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of dangerous if you think about it. Yeah, but I also feel that it was probably more because this is Japan. It was probably like they stood at like outside the cars and he was like, you know, and they just like prospered at each other. It wasn't a case of over here where it'd be like, you're right, bruv, he fucking owes me money. Nah, he fucking owes me money. And then before you know it, there's like glass bottles being smashed and everyone's fucking going for it. But in Japan, there's like a more honor there's still a, an honor amongst thieves, isn't there? Not over here. I would like to think katanas were involved. Like they all pulled out their swords and just kind of stared down each other. But you know what? I've been thinking of this whole episode, and it is Korean. It's not Japanese. But my favorite, like, remember when Tartan Asia was just like so fucking huge? Oh, like yeah. when I was, was in that? university, Tartan Asia was, was, like late 90s was just or like early my 2000s? big thing. No, like early 2000s, Tartan Asia just yeah. like took off uh, like Takeshi Maike and all of that. But A Bittersweet Life, have you ever seen that? That's a great movie. That's my favorite, like of all the Tartan Asias, that's my favorite. And this just whole thing is reminding me of that guy in Bittersweet Life. Like I feel he would be amazing at this job. He probably would be a great unit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they should make, it'd be so easy to make a movie based on this, just because of the amount of drama that's involved. So after they've helped you disappear, it's on you to stay hidden. And some people, I mean, they can hide for years. Some people hide for a lifetime, but it takes a lot of discipline, but it takes discipline to do that. Like you can't contact your family members. You can't, you know, you can't, you can't access your funds, your money. You have to have everything prepared in advance. You know, it generally requires it requires cutting all ties with the past. You can either never drive a car or never renew your driver's license. You can never use an ATM. Uh, you can't put your kids in the school. I mean, you or you could maybe put them in the, a school that's like far away from any kind of city, but you know it's difficult to do that because that's the way they can track you down through your kids. Could you not change your child's name, sir? Maybe, but I mean, still, they have to have some kind of identification. I mean, you'd have to be, you'd have to get like fake IDs and fake, uh, I don't know fake how they do it in Japan, but birth certificates, social security numbers. Um, only low-end jobs are advisable because I did, they don't care about identification for that. But you know, it's 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 difficult to do there. It's also, I mean, possible to buy someone's family and red and residency, like buy them registration papers. You know, Japanese documents that you can use. Um, you know, you can. Uh, you can, you, you can go to another service that Yonigeas can hook you up with called a rebirth service. It's expensive right. to, to, you know, to, to hire the, the, uh, the services of one of these companies. But you know, the documents are then required from homeless people. And there's no guarantee Gosh. that the new identity won't come with more debts and problems with, than from the old one. But you can recycle these but, identities. Like nowadays, we fucking Photoshop. 
can you not just like scan in your birth certificate change a few details right and suddenly your name has gone from oh i was about to be really racist then but <laughs> i'm just like not well, be racist possibly but can I mean, you not the... go from wing to wong right do you know what i mean at this it's not even a point. japanese last name but you probably <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> you probably could do that but i don't think that would fly at a bank I don't think they'd fly at like a DMV. I think it would probably be fine at like some low end shitty job. Yeah, but they don't. Yeah, but they don't like background check you, do they? If you have enough documents supporting that your name is Wing and not Wong, then they're just gonna take it at face value. And if you have like, here's my address, here's my birth certificate, and here's a passport, all in the name of Wing and not Wong, then I think they'd be fine. Get... But what if they cross checked it and it was. You know, the numbers came up someone else's passport or someone else's ID. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of risk attached to that. But yeah, I think eventually you probably would need some kind of form of identification under this new identity that you have. I mean, you'd have to. Um, Too many wings make a wong. <laughs> a typical Yoni Gaya goal is to buy the client a couple of years so the person can regroup, figure out their life. Uh, the Yoni Gaya full service one will help them untangle their affairs. Like they can negotiate with mobsters. They can, you know, pay That's off cool. a percentage of the loan. And they pave the way for the customer to resume some parts of their abandoned life. So they, they are kind of fixers in a sense, like the wolf, like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. They, like they will fix your life. Whereas I can't imagine anything like that happening in the U.S. I mean, fuck, we don't even provide pregnant women with health care, let yeah. alone helping someone who's in bankruptcy. I'm I'm thinking that's like fine being a therapist between you and the guy you owe gambling debts to, but if your husband is abusing you and he's beating you, like there's no amount of therapy or fixing that. It's like well, you yeah, I want to divorce you, but society will look down upon me. Society will look down upon me even worse if I divorce you than if I just disappear, and that's kind of fucked. That's fucked. Well, stalkers even if you disappear, they're persistent and they will disregard any kind of restraining orders. So Yoni Gea often force them to sign a promise that they'll stop stalking this person. If that doesn't work, the stalker will be intimidated into submission using physical violence, kidnapping, or both. So that's what I'm saying. It's a bit of a gray area that these guys operate in. Lenora could probably use one of their services. But stalking, when it gets that bad, though, is obviously a mental illness. So I don't even think a beating would stop somebody from stalking you. I mean, maybe. I as long as you exist, you will be stalked. By that I guess person. it depends on how well they can make you evaporate. You know, uh, Yonagea said they often act as emotional counselors. You know, ultimately, clients are buying know-how, convenience, and discretion. So, you know, to preserve their clients' hidden locations... Yonagea will destroy any paper records after committing them to memory so they won't give you away. Like these people are so skilled and experienced in this. It, it is part emotional counselor, part psychiatrist, part detective. Part badass. You're part badass, yeah. Um, this is an interesting story. Um, sometimes Yonagea will find themselves on the wrong side of trouble. And this is when you don't vet your clients properly. So this uh, Yonagea named uh, Onidera said he's been punched a few times. He's like, it definitely helps to be a big guy. He said uh, he was kidnapped for four days and severely beaten by mobsters. 
Uh, he had agreed to do a fly-by-night operation for a woman and her six-year-old. They said they were domestic violence victims. They said they're, or she said her husband was probably going to kill her if he didn't help her out. So he's like, we got to act fast. We got to do a 24-hour evacuation. What he didn't know is that she had stolen $660,000 from the Yakuza. He didn't know that. She didn't tell him. He didn't vet her thoroughly enough. So the gang was convinced that he was in on the money, and they abducted him. He was able to escape only when a driver happened to stop on the highway, gave him a split-second opportunity to jump out of the car, slide down an embankment, but the incident made him much more careful. Because you, that's the thing. If these people are, if your client's not being honest with you, you got to be. It's got to be full transparency, or you can kind of find yourself in a situation like this. She must have been a great actress. Yeah, like steal, I mean, some of them. Well, are, firstly, to steal that artists. amount of money. Yeah, she's a con artist, and then to pull one over on him. But with a whole industry dedicated to helping people disappear, it follows. It only makes sense that there's an industry dedicated to people to find them, find the disappeared people. <gasps> so I didn't even think about that. The Japanese police counted 5,667 registered detective agencies in the country in 2018. Um, HARA is one of Tokyo's largest private detective agencies, and they're based in Shinjuku. That's where I stayed in Tokyo. Shinjuku's kind of sketchy. Not really sketchy like by U.S. standards, but there's a lot of like strip clubs and sketchy Nigerians trying to sell you drugs and things like that in that area of Tokyo. Yeah. Um, lots of hosts walking around. I actually liked Sinjuku. It's probably my favorite area there. As a, that's the party area. Is that where the uh, the Tokyo Tower is? Not it sure looks like the Eiffel Tower. Not. I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, there's a couple party areas over there. So... For private detectives, most inquiries are from people seeking proof of extramarital affairs or parents snooping on their child's boyfriend or girlfriend. But a fifth of, uh, of uh, Hara's casework involves missing people, and they specialize in people who have absconded for between 10 days and a month. Mostly, mostly people vanish due to break down family relations, uh, but sometimes, you know, it's the gambling debts, and they're very familiar with the Yanagea. And they sometimes even work hand-in-hand with their companies. So this uh, detective here, Masasashi Kikuchi, he says um, a lot of these people seek refuge in the netherworld of pachinko parlors and cheap hotels until they're found. He's like... There we go. Yeah, he's like a lot of people tend to hide there. That's where their debt started. That's where their debt ends. Um, He said about 10% of his cases end up being suicides. And uh, he was saying that... um, you know, he was showing pictures to the uh, the 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 author of this, uh, the journalist here of this article, and it's from Time Magazine. And one of the pictures of a, was of a middle-aged man in an empty high school yard. Another was of a man in a baseball stadium. A third showed a woman alone at a zoo. And he said, "This is true. People are very predictable. Those who want to kill themselves go to the place that they were the most happiest at." Right. So it's interesting. Where would you a lot of, go then? Probably a Taco Bell. Probably the Taco Bell <laughs> in Bay City, Michigan. You're just gonna go to in Bay City. <laughs> just uh, shoot myself oh, while I'm, well, with a mouthful of bean burrito. Oh my God, mine's gonna be that Hot Springs Hotel in Desert Springs that we went to. <laughs> That's where I was happiest. <laughs> Not Las Vegas. <laughs> 
I like Las Vegas, but uh, it's different. I loved that Moroccan-themed hotel that had Casablanca on 24-hour loop. It was everything I wanted and more out of life. <laughs> the detective says about 20% of his cases are dead ends. He's like, you know, sometimes we'll find a trace of the right. person, like an abandoned car at a dump site. We can't go any further. Um, sometimes we can't even tell if the person committed suicide or if they've completely evaporated. You know, with the help of Iona Gaya, he's like, so we just stop looking. He's like, so about 20% we never actually solve. You know what I would do if I was one of the people disappearing someone? I would always take their car to the suicide forest and just leave it near the suicide forest. But obviously a, I'm taking the family else. It's a good alibi, though. It's a great alibi, isn't it? Because everyone would just be like, oh, the car's here. They're in there. They're dead. So a lot of these people who seek out the services of Iona Gaya you know, a lot of these people who become Johansu, they just want to have a fresh start on life. So when they disappear, they can abandon their former identity, their residency, their job, their family, their name, and even their appearance. You know, you can dye your hair blonde, live a whole new life I'm as doing a blonde all person. Of these things. <laughs> but as I'm yeah. saying, it's like, you know, in Japan, where you live in this like such domineering culture, this, this harsh patriarchy where quitting a company is shameful, you know, divorcing your husband is shameful to your family. It's all about honor. Disappearing is an attractive alternative. You know, faced with a choice of either suicide, working to death, or vanishing and starting your life over, what are you going to choose? I am choosing to disappear to America where I will re-dye my hair. I'm going to get Yankee teeth, and maybe, like, people start calling me Katie while I'm there. That's what I'm <laughs> choosing. But I am taking the zoo and a cut. You know, um... Japan is one of the highest suicide rates of any country in the world. Yeah. I, they've dipped yeah, actually sad. since 2015, but uh, I mean, it's the leading cause of death amongst 22 to 44 year olds. So a lot of people kill themselves. So why not disappear? Yeah, it's my generation. Over, you know, I mean, here I would probably move to Reno or maybe Alaska. There's a lot of people move to Alaska and start over. I don't think I could handle the winters in Alaska. As, but as, that's the same as saying I couldn't handle the, the summers in Reno. I would go to like, yeah, I'd probably go to like um, Fargo or somewhere like that. Although they also have shitty, shitty winters and shitty summers. You know, maybe like northern Texas. Northern Texas, southern Nevada. Yeah, that, that would that do could me. work. It'd be difficult for you because you're British. So, but if you're in the UK, though, and you want to disappear, would you just move to Blackpool? Get a job as a carny. Oh my god! <laughs> I have always thought because I like I famously, obviously, because I consider ninety nine percent of Britain a shithole. The one place I would probably move to is Norwich. Where's that? Is that north or is that? No, that's re- it's in it's in what Alan Partridge called the breast of England, and basically Norwich is the nipple. And it's near, near. you're not far away from London. You're like, what, an hour's train ride, if that. But you're far enough away, you're on the coast. Norwich is nice. There's a huge, it's like one of the few places in Britain where I'm like, do you know what, it's actually not bad here. I like it here. There's a fucking huge jail in the middle of the city. I like Norwich. What about it's the fun. Isle of Man? Who's going to look at, Who's gonna look for you over there? Yeah, yeah, there's nothing there. There's nothing on the Isle of Man. And then every year they have that, that race there, so it, it does get popular. It would be annoying. It gets yeah. popular. I like anyway, Glasgow, and I like Norwich. And think I like about it, parts people. Of Manchester. Where would you go if you wanted to disappear? 
Uh, this is episode 898 here at Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a quick word from Adam and Eve. It's Butt Plug Month on AdamandEve.com. Show that you still care by bringing something new into the bedroom. And by something new, I mean a butt plug. Because if you order right now and use coupon code DIDDLE, you get 50% off your first item, a gift so sensual I can't even tell you about it on this podcast that talks about murder and bukkake, and on top of all of that, free shipping. Support Sick and Wrong by supporting our sponsor, adamandeve.com, and making a purchase with coupon code DIDDLE. That's D-I-D-D-L-E. Let's get Rambo. got a couple phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is the number of the Sick Wrong hotline. Or you can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, before we get to our calls, you were saying you had a Japanese book you wanted to plug? Yeah, and it is, whenever people talk, like, I've obviously got lots of books, and I have a huge, like, true crime library, little humble brag there. But whenever people talk about true crime books, this is always in everyone's top five. And it is a great book. I've read it several times. And it's The People Who Eat Darkness by Richard Lloyd Perry. And he investigates the murder of Lucy Blackman. You remember her? Lucy Blackman. The name's so familiar. The book seems really familiar. I don't think I've read it, though. So she's British, right? And she went over in, like, the 90s to be a hostess in Japan. And she basically... I do know this story. Yeah. And she ended up, like, meeting this fucking horrible dude. But the book is so well written. And it's, yeah, it's in, like, my top five. It's in every... Everyone who loves true crime is always like, this is one of the books. I might be wrong, but was the movie Rising Sun based on that? With Christian Bale? No, not Christian Bale. It's a 90s movie. The only Rising Sun I know is the one where Christian Bale is, like, eight. And it's a war movie. That no, no, no. That's a different movie. I know what you're, the one you're thinking of. I do know that one, but no, this is different. I don't know if they've made a movie about Lucy Blackman because like, th- a big part of it was that Japan tried to cover it up. And oh. they were like, no, nobody's killing our these beautiful blonde women that are our coming over here to be ladies. our hostesses. No one's com- our killing them. <laughs> but I can highly, highly recommend it. It's a great book. I have to check it out. All right, so the first phone call we have here is from Boner Villain. But this is the most the most bizarre yeah. Boner Villain call I think I've ever heard. I almost is thought it was a nice? different person. Like, I had to listen oh. to it a couple times to be like, this is Boner Villain? Tell me what you think. Batman Villain here. Um, I just killed uh, a couple of people in... Uh, Ukraine. So he just said he killed a couple people in the Ukraine. Now I'm not this I'm not sure exactly how he did that. I was about to say, how can he do that when you don't leave your mother's basement? I mean he's got a lot of guns. It's like I was really good at Call of Duty at one point. I was like 300th in Europe, which is nothing to brag about. That's not a humble brag. It was a very low time in my life. It was like really good at that time. It was like Call of Duty 4. When that had just come out, I was really fucking good at it. And I'm also not a pussy person either. I don't do that snipering bullshit. I wade in and I'll fucking kill you. I'll kill you with a fucking knife in your neck. Yeah, Bonneville might have killed a couple of Ukrainians on Call of Duty. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, how <laughs> did you, uh, like, how? 
Like, like it had to have been a video game. Must have been Call right. of Duty. What's the other one that's like the crowd game that all the kids play these days? I'm so old. All the kids play. I don't know. I do know that Diablo has... I was never a fan of Diablo, but everyone's going fucking mad for it at the minute. But I've... After, I won't... It's actually been a while since I mentioned Red Dead. But after <laughs> the, Red Dead, I've taken a step back. But Red Dead wasn't a, a first-person shooter, right? No, it's a third-person shooter, D. Yeah, well, it's a third-person game where you're playing. Call a of Duty is also a third, kind of third-person shooter. If you want, to. it's totally be- it begins with like an F. I can't remember the name of this game, but all the kids play it, and you can be different characters. Fortnite. There's Fortnite. Fortnite. You're thinking of Fortnite. Yeah. The, do <laughs> it's you like go to, the, to my dad? <laughs> is there a Fortnite Ukraine edition? <laughs> there is, and Bonavillain is on there. That's Can what I'm know. thinking. So you went to Fortnite, you killed a couple Ukrainians, now you're feeling remorseful. I would just go ask your mom for a cookie. Don't feel remorseful. Not really They're all dying now. anyways. But, you know, people bulk. Anyway, peace and love, and uh, I want everyone to be happy and healthy. Sorry. See what I'm saying? <laughs> Peace and love. I want everyone Peace to be happy love. and healthy. Did you ever watch the uh, Kids in the Hall movie? Which one? The one that came out in the 90s. The, the Kids in the Hall released that movie. and uh, I've only, yeah. Well, I've only seen it um, a couple of times because I had a boy. One of my exes was absolutely obsessed with Kids in the Hall. So that's how, because Kids in the Hall was never a thing over here in Britain. So I've always weird. been a weirdo for knowing Kids in the Hall. But I only knew Kids in the Hall because he was obsessed with it. And so I've seen the movie like, God, less than a handful of times. And that was in my early 20s. And there's been a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs. That has happened well, since Kids then. in the Hall is popular late 80s, early 90s, and they kind of went on hiatus for a bit. And I think it was the early 2000s they did a movie, uh, I think it was called Brain Candy. Brain Candy. Yeah, Brain Candy. Yeah, which is a great movie. But the premise was that, that a scientist um, created a drug that would make you relive your happiest memory always, like perpetually, me, yeah. and then cure depression. But it would change your personality completely, like people that were really dark. So there was a character Bruce McCullough played that was like Danzig. And at first yeah, he'd be yeah. like, you know, singing about like death and Satan. And then <laughs> yeah. one day he comes out and he's like, I tried the new drug. And everyone's like, yeah. And I feel happy. And he takes like an acoustic <laughs> guitar and he does a song called Happiness Pie, where everyone has peace and love and jump into the happiness pie. I'm thinking... Boner villains on like Zoloft or Will Butrin or something, and now he's like happy. I kind of want to make a peace and love t shirt for him to send him. Peace and love. I don't know what happened, but that was not, he didn't even say one thing about how much I suck and that he wishes I was dead and that he has more houses than I do. That didn't oh, even come. Me. I was I was waiting for that. I listened to the call. I'm like, oh, boner villain. He's going to tell me how much of a faggot I am and that he owns more homes and he has way more money, but he didn't. You know what, as well, he, like, he did kind of sound, I know he mentioned murder, but if murder makes him happy, then I just say go for it, because there's a lot of people in this world, and we are overpopulated, so just choose the right people, Bonavillain. I don't choose think, the right it, people I don't think it's murder, I think, 
he wants peace and love now. I think he's listening to the birds. And he's like, you know, he's happy. Great band. Yeah, I think he's happy. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he's come off Reddit and he's starting to come back to the real world. <laughs> Maybe he's finally logged out of Reddit. I always had faith in him and like, I'm glad that it's happening now. Yeah, but you know, normally I'm not concerned about his welfare, but now I want to know what's going on with you, Bonavellan. I'm getting worried. Like, you know, he's my nemesis and it's like, what, what am I without my nemesis? So I hope you're doing all right there, buddy. Anyway, moving on. YouTube lady calls in with a show recommendation. Hello, this is YouTube Watcher, and I'm nice and high right now. I have a, a nice and high. YouTube channel you need to check out. It's called Please. Soft White Underbelly. Check it I out. It is pretty trippy. Have you seen this uh, YouTube channel? Is this the one where they interview all the crackheads? Uh, not just crackheads. It's like uh, they all homeless intimate and like interviews and therapy and, and I'm in AA. Yeah, it gets a bit too like preachy for me. But every so often, it's just like every so often they interview they, they interviewed that guy who got shot in the face and survived. It gets a I mean? bit preachy. I mean, there are some people that are like you know they're homeless and drug addicts and things like that. But if you go through it. There are some people like this. This guy's a nudist. This woman's into weird sexual fetishes. Yeah. You know, there's uh, you know, Spring drug addicts. In. But but if you the sex worker here, this poly drug addict, there's some there is some good stories in this. Um, but yeah, it's a soft white underbelly channel on YouTube. I think you do have to pick and choose because some of the like this one with the ex con. I listened to this last night. Billy, he was pretty good. I mean, he was talking how yeah. brutal prison was. Um, yeah, I kind of went in a YouTube uh, uh, YouTube wormhole the other night. Oh, are you turning into me now? No, I was on there looking for, um, I, I forget what got me onto YouTube. I was watching a video. I think someone sent me on Facebook and I started watching other videos. And then it got onto this like documentary about being turned out in prison, but in like a prison in deep Southern Alabama. And I have yeah, it was insane. I have no idea why you've never seen this documentary before. I've never watched it. Never seen it. It's called Turned Out. It's amazing. It's Yeah, I've seen Turned Out at least five times because it's hilarious. I got to say it is hilarious. Uh, the nicknames, like there's this one guy, his name was, I think his name was David, <laughs> but the guy was like, nah, I call him Mindy because he looks like a Mindy to me. <laughs> and the guy and the guy's just like, yeah, you know, I came in here and I told everyone my name's David, but then, you know, LaShawn started calling me Mindy, and so now my name's Mindy. <laughs> it's just like there's nothing you can do about it, dude. LaShawn's going to kill you unless you this know. Is, you, that's just how it goes uh, in prison. This is why I watch YouTube and I just like don't really watch anything else because YouTube is the gift that keeps on giving. YouTube has films if you know how to look for them and if they get uploaded, sometimes they get taken away. But I mean, it's got everything I need and I just like, you know, I will nearly artistically rewatch all the same things over and over and over again. And that's definitely one of them. It's it's in there. It's in my list. It is good. It's in my watch list. Well, speaking about this soft white underbelly of the internet, here's the wad mm -hmm. calling in nice. about taking a piss test. Haven't heard from him in a while. He's a dad now. He's busy. He doesn't have time to call into a podcast. He does not. The wad takes a piss test. Hello, Kate and D. 
it's me, the wad. The so I've been at my current job driving a forklift for a little over a year now. Nice. Recently, I had a little accident. I was using my lift to put a pallet of cereal up on a fairly high shelf. The pallet somehow became stuck on the front of the forks, and when I backed out, I looked up and saw the pallet was hanging halfway off the shelf. I was like, what the fuck? Then the pallet fell about 30 feet to the floor. Surprisingly, most of the cereal was okay. As I was cleaning up, a couple... That's all that matters, the cereal. I wonder what kind of cereal it was. Cookie crisp? I'd like to it know. It happens. So, Kay Rambo... It does happen. You're, you're a forklift driver, former forklift driver. Do you ever have an issue like that where you were putting something up on, the, on like the racks and it fell over? Oh, fuck yeah, all the time. Because especially when you start getting like good at it, you're just like, ah, uh, yeah, it'll go up there and you'll just like, you'll kind of half watch it and like you'll be looking on your phone, you'll be doing something on your phone and you think you've got it. And especially because I work nights as well, I work at the graveyard, so you'd be half asleep while you're doing it. And then maybe you're talking to somebody about how Man City won the fucking treble. And then before you know it, you've backed out and like, yeah, that same scenario. I've done that. I've damaged like thousands of pounds worth of goods it doesn't fucking matter no one cares as long as no one gets hurt who gives a shit do you ever drive over anyone no it's never happened you never hit anybody i must say that most forklift truck drivers at least the people i've forklift driven around were never assholes like that or would make you feel like you were in danger you could do tricks and shit but it would never be like oh like yeah donuts? i'm gonna come and fucking run over you you be spinning donuts <laughs> in, the, in the factory floor? Yeah, I've, I've spun fucking tons of donuts. And it, the best part is when you spin a donut and you make your like uh, your forks go up and down at the same time. <laughs> and if you do that in tune to, to Blondie's Atomic, it's really satisfying. I can see more like, uh, um, you know, nothing but a G thing. It almost sounds like you're on hydraulics. I can see that the working. Bit, I wasn't so much into the rap, so I was always listening to like punk or metal. So I was, like a lot of Metallica would like got me through the night. Well, here's uh, the wad destroying all the lucky charms. Advisors walked by and started questioning me. I ended up having to take a piss test as a result of the accident. I had actually yeah. smoked weed earlier that day. It was right before I took my daughter and nephew to see the new Mario movie. Ironically, I was. God, I would want to be really high for that. If I had to go endure the Mario movie, I'd want to be really high. Same. Although I do love the John Leguizamo Mario movie. That's really fun. I love the Ron Jeremy it? Mario movie. You ever seen that one? No, because I'm not a pervert. <laughs> Ron Jeremy really does look like Mario. Go look it up, people. Tempting to smoke a joint and take a piss at the same time. After taking two hits, I accidentally dropped the joint into the toilet. I took the lighter and tried to drive off the, dry off the piss water soaked joint and resume smoking. Jesus Christ, man! What? What? Just no. You just dropped the weed. joint in a piss in, a, in a, a puddle of your own urine. Just get another joint. There is can, always more weed. Yeah, weed's not even that expensive. I can understand if it was a bag of cocaine, but you just dropped like a joint. Who cares? Oh, no, even one. then I would let the cocaine go. Come on. Depends on how Don't much. 
Don't be that Jewish. Come on. If you had like two grams of really good cup blow and it just fell in the, and it was in a plastic bag and it fell in the toilet, I'd probably pull Oh, and it out. was sealed? Yeah. Oh, yeah, then I'm scooping that fucker back up. But if it was like opened, I'm not going to. Well, no, because the piss it's would it's ruin it. I'm just saying, exactly. if it was like your bag was sealed and it fell in there, I probably would pull that out. I've also had but to then I ended up dr- recently. Did you? Oh, did you have to do it for uh, when you had your visa? Yeah, from when I had my visa and I like I pissed all over my hand because I'm not used to taking a piss test and I got nervous and I waited until I had too much piss in my bladder because they they freaked me out at the U.S. Embassy. I was there longer than anyone else waiting to take a piss to the point where I took a racehorse piss and it just like kind of shot out of me and I pissed all over my hand. Well, aren't you supposed to hold to a bag? Didn't you hold a or a little bottle? Or I had a tiny little pot, but the pot felt the pot felt very big until I was pissing in it, and then the pot felt very small. And also, you forget how warm your piss is. Your piss is like super warm. What about the stool sample? Did you get that one on your hand? <laughs> no, I was better. At, they didn't make me anxious for that. They relaxed me. For that what are they one. testing you for? Drugs or like STDs? Uh, drugs because I'd said that I smoked marijuana in university. I felt very much like Bill Clinton this moment. Moment, and they were like, "When was the last time you smoked marijuana in this country?" I was like, "Not, f- not for years." <laughs> did you not tell for them? Years. Did you tell them you're moving to California? Yeah, but it doesn't matter because it's illegal here. So yeah, but they you're wanted moving to know when was the last time I smoked to it here. here. It's ridiculous. It's pointless. No. Bring the lighter into the toilet. And at that point, I decided, fuck it. Good. When they sent me in to piss into the cup, I decided to perform a little experiment, since what did I have to lose? Using the cup, I scooped about 10 milliliters of toilet water into the cup, and I filled the other 30 with piss. Apparently, it worked. I would almost look, in this situation, because he smokes weed, I'd almost look to see if in the toilet there's someone else's piss that they just didn't flush, and I would just do that. Men are disgusting, but you also don't know what's in the other man's piss. At that point, unless my supervisor was waiting outside for me, I just would have been like on the group chat with my work buddies, being like, "I need one of you to come in and piss." Come and in, well, I guess you're beer. right. I don't know. I'm assuming everyone smokes weed, but I would try to see if I knew if. I guess it depends on who you're working with, but I would be nervous because weed stays in your system for like two or three weeks. It actually doesn't because I Googled that. I Googled I it that because I, like I got so paranoid about the, the embassy made me so paranoid. It actually goes out of your system in your pee in, a, in about like six, seven days. Wow, really? stays in your hair they... for ages though. St- that's why Brittany shaved it. her head. I'd have to look into yeah, it. I st- thought they could trace it for like two weeks. I just or... looked into it, buddy. stays in your hair for ages. And so uh, cocaine also stays in your hair for longer. How long does cocaine last in your piss? Oh, like hours, like 24 hours, 48 hours, if that. Because I ended up passing the test. Then fast forward two weeks later, I was involved in another accident on 420, believe it or not. (laughs) This time it wasn't exactly my fault. Somehow uh, somebody ended up bumping into my lift. And this person was so paranoid about getting in trouble that he decided to report it. We both ended up having to take a piss test. I decided to try my method again, and just like last time, it worked. 
if I was the, if I was his supervisor, I'd probably not have him drive a forklift anymore. I'd probably have him like unload trucks or something. This is the second accident in less That's than what, what a month. That's what he's doing. Yeah, he's but he got a, another trucks. accident with a forklift. It's not an accident. Like we bumped trucks all the time. You would just be like, "All right." I don't like, know. Maybe it's different in Britain. Maybe it's different over here. But these are all like things that just would go unreported. Um, and just for your interest, medical news today. For people who okay, smoke cannabis once a day or more, tests may detect it in their system for 30 days. Oh, right. Well, it's definitely But you don't even smoke I, it that often. Like for I me, looked on the U.S. Embassy and the U.S like drugs of thing and it said after like five days it's out your I think it's for people who don't smoke that much but if you're like a chronic THC like I smoke every day there's trace amounts every day there's trace amounts of THC probably in my system for up to a month but I can't remember the last time I had to take a piss test like no job in the U well I would say no corporate job in the U.S. makes you take a piss test and if they did I probably wouldn't want to work there I would like to point out here that the embassy was a very, like, it was like a drugs piss test, like for the police. I had to piss with the door open and the doctor stood outside the door. She was like, I need to make sure that you're not, like, doing anything with the samples. It wasn't like I was, that's why I'm saying it was anxiety ridden. I was yeah, just, like, no, being anxious because I had to provide a piss test. So, I was what, being... so what happens if you have THC in your system? Do they arrest you? Like, what, what happens? You're, you can't get a visa because of that? No, it would be reported that there was THC in my system, but I doubt there will be. No, you don't smoke like, enough. You don't smoke enough, first of all, and also you hadn't smoked in like two or three weeks. No, I like those vape pens, but I'm not like hammering the. I'm not like hammering a vape pen to myself every time I'm out there. Like, I'm nowhere tubes near on a as bong. bad of a stoner as I used to be. Yeah, no, I, I doubt it would show up, but I just find it really odd. It's like I can understand if his situation, like his boss wants to make sure that he's not high at work. Um, I can understand if you're on parole or something and they, and they want to make sure you're not like dealing weed or doing drugs, but you're just moving to fucking California for fuck's sake. It's like, who cares? It's ridiculous. They want a drugs test, man. Yeah. It's the first thing it says when you come through the door. Ridiculous. Funny thing is, though, my Adderall prescription popped up, but the THC oh. didn't. <laughs> And uh, there's a part of me that was a little disappointed about not getting fired. Uh, my wife got her master's degree last year and almost immediately got a job paying six figures. This inspired me to go back to school. Nice. Nice. And we've been nice. discussing me going down to a part-time schedule. This way I can focus more on school and the kids. However, my wife won't let me quit till the end of the summer. But uh, so far going back to school is way easier than, than I remember. I've been able to do the majority of my schoolwork on my smartphone, and I just got an A on one of my science classes. Well, uh, keep it sick, keep it wrong. Uh, I'll try to uh, call in a little more often from here on out. Oh, good to hear from you, Watt, and uh, I'm happy you're going back to school. It's always a good thing. I've always, like, yeah, in the back of my mind, I've always wanted to go back to school and actually study something useful but at the same time i'm like oh god it's free yes. a lot of money it's such a long time i would love to do it i feel like i could do the school thing in 18 months i want to do it Smash when it i'm out. 
I'm going to do it in like 20 years. I'm an old guy. I'm going to go back. I'm going to teach the kids how to party. Like Rodney Dangerfield. Remember him back to school? <laughs> what, I, want to, I want a situation masters. like that. That's funny because my dad went back and did his master. My dad actually went back and did his master's when I was doing my degree. So I would see my dad like knocking around campus and stuff. And everyone used to be like, your dad is fucking awesome. At me. I was like, what? How do you know? It's like was he he's drunk, a drunk at school? You think he's Probably because he'd be like, it was fun going to art openings with him. Let's just say because he would get all the booze. <laughs> I remember uh, my buddy Big Jeff had to take a piss test for one of his jobs. He he has a lot of jobs like similar to the one. I don't think he is a forklift driver, but he does stuff with like um, logistics and moving companies, yeah. things like that. Anyway, he had to take a piss test and he was worried about it. So he went and ordered urine from this company. I think we talked about it. I'm pretty sure we did a whole episode about it on Sick and Wrong. But he ordered this piss like in the mail and this like apparatus that would deliver the piss. So it was like a fake dong that you put just because they're looking at you. So you like put the fake piss in this like rubber dong and you, you know, pull it out of your, you got it in your pants, you go to your interview, and then when you go to the bathroom and they're watching you, you kind of pull the dong out, even though it's not your real dong, but they don't know because it's all fleshy looking, and you squeeze it, and it squeezes out the, the, the piss that you paid for. It's basically what ha- happened to me. Like, it's, when someone is, like, watching you or their presence is very nearby while you're trying to piss, it's very intimidating. Stage fright. I did get the stage right the first time, but it was also the, uh, it was because she was like a Balkan Eastern European, very harsh doctor. And when I went back after I drank a fair bit of water, even they said, don't drink loads of water. It will dilute your piss. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to drink that. I'm going to drink water. I was very dehydrated. I'd had like four coffees. Was she in the stall with you? She was inside the bathroom. Yeah. It was like an L-shaped bathroom. So like the there was a toilet and then I was looking at a sink and then you like took an immediate turn right and there was a little entryway and she was stood right there. But then when I went back with a really nice doctor, the nice doctor just like popped the door open and she was like, oh, there's another sink here. I'll just turn the sink on if you're a nervous peer. I was like, that is exactly what I am. And Some... she turned that on. And then maybe, I pissed like a racehorse. Maybe I'm not envisioning this properly. So you oh. were naked, <laughs> urinating on the toilet, and then this hot Balkan nurse had her uh-huh. breasts out. She was Doct- massaging no, her breasts. No, she's a doctor. She's a doctor. So she was watching you pee. Was she wearing like garters or like just lingerie? She was in like an all white uniform with all white garters and a, a white bra, lace bra. And, and her breasts were stockings. Out. And so and her, then the nurse. Her perfect Balkan breasts were The out, nurse yes. was in a naughty nurse uniform, very short skirt, no panties underneath. And she was crouched yes. down looking between looking. your legs as the urine was coming out. Yeah. And she was also like helping the Balkan nurse, the Balkan doctor at the same time. I like the idea of this. <laughs> All right, I'll have to remember this for later when I have Sorry, my alone t- my alone time. Um, all right, Wad. Well, I hope you're. Uh, you know, Wad probably would have preferred that same situation when he was taking his pest test um, and fishing joints out of the toilet bowl. Yeah, uh, thank you, Wad, Wad, for calling it in, calling us, and uh, and uh, catching up. It's been a little while. Three two three five two two four zero three two is the number, people. 
Uh, big ups to all those who support us on Patreon. We do appreciate you helping us keep it sick and wrong every week. Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, if you want to buy some merch, we've got a T Public store, sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Get yourself some merch. And finally, here's Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. Kate and I were gutted to find out that Jack Lee, the frontman of the Got 1970s power pop trio The Nerves, and the writer of Blondie's massive 1978 hit Hanging on the Telephone, which a lot of people don't realize, she didn't write that. Wait, also, my favorite Blondie song, Will Anything Happen, which is the B-side to Hanging on the Telephone. That's my my favorite Blondie song is... Detroit for far too, but then my second favorite Blondie song is Will Anything Happen, written by Jack Lee. He's a yeah. fucking legend. He did. He wrote a lot of songs um, for other people that became huge hits. He died in Santa Monica on May 26th, um, and it's a bummer. He's a, very, he's a very talented man. Apparently, he had been living with colon cancer for the past three years, but he never gave up on music, not even to the very end. He had his guitar right by his side. Uh, he was 71 years old. So what's interesting about Jack Lee, so when he was living in San Francisco, he was a busker in Fisherman's Wharf. This like 70s, early 70s. And that's where he met a fellow street musician, Peter Case, and uh, they started up The Nerves, 1974, with uh, awesome Case on bass. And uh, Paul Collins on drums. Paul Collins has had some pretty cool solo albums too. Um, they kind of signaled in the uh, punk movement the SF punk movement back then in a totally sense. Totally did. You know? Um, but he never really, I don't think his personal, like, you know, his the nerves or any of his uh, solo albums ever got to the success of Hanging on the Telephone. But he did compose songs for Susie Quattro, You're My Lover, and Paul Young, Come Back and Stay, which is a pretty big hit. I love his version he, better, though. His version's way better. Yeah, way better. Way better. Jack Lee has been a huge influence on me for a long, long time. Yeah, Jack Lee, um, his greatest hits album is amazing. I think I bought that yeah. for you a while ago, and it's it's such a it's it's a really good record. I would go check it out. And if you can find the nerves, I would definitely look for that as well. Are we I know the show I'm going to put this out here now before you even say that. You will never find an OP of the nerves. I've seven. never seen it. You will yeah. never find it, and if you do, you're going to spend five six hundred quid. I've got the reissue, and I've got the Japanese reissue too because it was put out. A couple of years ago, I can't remember. Was it? Um, yeah, it was where by Total Punk, and I've got both of them, so you don't have to hunt for them. I have them. Very and difficult to find. So we're gonna end the show here yeah. with uh, Kate Rambo's favorite Jack Lee song, "Crime Doesn't Pay." Came out in 1981. Um, people will be back next week with episode 899. Till then, take it sleazy. <laughs>
People go to work or school, just like their neighbors, and come back to a real home. A supervised home, right in the neighborhood, where they belong. Being retarded never stopped anyone from being a good neighbor. 